0: Last night, I had one too many. Just one. It was one extra drink. I had three instead of two. And I became obstreperous. I could hear my volume increase. I told people how to live their lives, even though I know very well that although people can and will change, for the better or for worse, I can't change people. So what is this? Why do I feel the need to constantly weigh in like the armchair psychologist that I am? I think it's because we love being right. It feels really good to be right. To ourselves, it feeds our ego. But it doesn't help other people. You can be right or you can be loved. Katy Perry said that, I'm pretty sure. I've decided to be loved. I like it way better. And I was with some friends last night that I see every Wednesday and I love dearly. And I I don't need to be right around them. No. No, I'm going to listen more. Now, how do I go about listening more and talking less? Well, it's not going to start on this podcast because that would be pretty boring for you. Listening to me, listen to absolutely nothing. But in class, I have noticed that there is a thing with some young people versus a thing with mature people. Some mature people, some, not all, have learned how to listen. I am still learning, clearly. It's those people that know that if your gums are flapping, your ears aren't on, and you're not learning anything, and then if you're in a class environment, you're not getting your money's worth. Sometimes a younger student, not always, again, some old people will talk your head off, will take, um, will take an opportunity to weigh in with a personal anecdote that slightly relates to whatever you're saying, thereby derailing the proceedings, It's our way of chiming in. It's our way of saying, I understand. You could just say, I understand. You could just keep taking notes. But sometimes when we're uh, malformed, we need to weigh in and show the person, show the teacher or the guide or their peers that they know what's going on. Have you ever done this in a seminar setting? Seminars are great. I I always preferred them in university to lectures. However, it depends uh, deeply on who your peer group is around you. Listening is at the core of all the things that performers practice and need to be really good at. The first step of performance technique is active listening, is not having great ideas. It's sitting there and connecting with another human being. It's taking down all those walls that we have had to put up just to survive things like childhood, high school, our parents, the real world. So in my class, it's not about, um, I'm going to break you down and then build you back up again. No, we're just going to reset to um, a neutral gaze, a neutral posture. We're going to stand there, not sit, but stand and look at each other and listen. It's going to get boring before it gets interesting, but that's the work, and it'll yield fruit if you let it, if you're listening, if you don't have one too many delicious cocktails made with brown alcohol. (music) Hey, welcome to the Bold Acting Podcast. My name is Jason Bryden. It's uh, Thursday, June 15th, 2023. I meant to do this yesterday, but I was too busy putting a latch on a gate. I'm telling you, this home maintenance, it's not getting easier. I thought I would be better at it by now. But it took the better part of a day to put the latch on a gate. I mean, I'm not good at this stuff. Not yet, at least. This microphone's wrong. How are these levels? They're a bit loud. Too yowd, as my uh, eldest used to say. Recently, I was reading a book called, a novel called An Unnecessary Woman. And there were a couple great quotes in there. One was, whenever I gingerly remove my mother's noose from around my neck... It is with my own hands that I nearly strangle myself. The protagonist and her mother had a touchy relationship, but I thought that was so good, and it really does speak to, I don't know, the futility of it all, or the endlessness of feelings, or the uh, relentless presence of baggage with loved ones that we're never going to escape from. The other quote I loved was, most of the books published these days consist of a series of whines, like complaining, followed by an epiphany. Complaining and then an epiphany. And I thought that described my process to a T. I get annoyed by somebody or something. I whine about it. I think complaining is okay whining is like a sound you make complaining about something is okay especially if you make it funny I whine about things that annoy me and then I find a solution and then I teach it I don't know, is that good? I think that's teaching, isn't it? I think that's it Whereas stand-up comedy is is you find something that annoys you and then you complain about it publicly on stage with a microphone in your hands and your big face is in a spotlight and you're in in front of a bunch of drunk people and you try and make your complaint funny and then the people in the audience go, I can relate to that and I'm a bit tipsy, so this is fun. That's stand-up politics is finding things you an- that annoy you and then you get elected and then you have to go to a bunch of boring meetings and you get super bored with everything so then and you get some perks you know like you get to fly for free and you get a free car sometimes and then and you get a pension and then that makes you want more and more and you become entitled then you become corrupt And uh, then you you become the leader of the conservative party. I think that's how it goes in politics. You find something that annoys you, you become a lawmaker, you change the things that annoy you, or at least you try. And we go round and round and round and do this. Oh, what fun. Choosing to go into politics or choosing to do any job is a cop-out. Uh, versus the original job which is not being a sex worker although there's nothing wrong with that it's being a performer we are all wired up to perform we all have that story of when we were little and we put on a play with our cousins and we made our parents watch this this masterpiece unfold in the living room or the backyard it's in us to perform not all of us are cut out to be performers for the rest of our lives. Not all of us should do it, and a lot of us should mitigate it. Mitigating risk is what brings peace of mind. Being calm and coming from a place of strength is a great place to take risks from, creative risks, risks with your ego, risk with sticking your neck out there. Performance means you're communicating uh, the human experience to other humans. Performance means you're showing that just because you're having a feeling doesn't mean you have to be afraid of it. Performance means showing up in uh, a vulnerable way or in a way that cares for other people can be advantageous to everyone in the room, including uh, the bottom line. I'm not talking about niceness so much as I'm talking about kindness. I'm talking about openness. What are some other buzzwords I can use which annoy me? Uh, A growth mindset. Having your ears on. Active listening. Being patient. Waiting for the thing to happen. We don't have to fill every silence with uh, more bullshit. This is where the artist this is where the performer can come in the performer inside of you no matter what you're doing you know 99% of artists make no money and yet we focus on the 1% that are celebrities and 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 we frame them as the goal that's somebody else's yardstick that's not an uh, that's not a yardstick that's applicable to the artist and as usual i bang on about a return to art, a return to that focus on art in whatever you do. Whether you're a scientist or a bean counter or you mow lawns, there is artistry in it. And when there's artistry, there is pride. The good kind of pride, not the one that goes, goeth before a fall. A friend of mine who's an actor recently, uh, he got himself a real nice vehicle. And he drives and he whores it out and he drives it around uh, for Uber. And he makes good money because he has a really nice car and people and you and you, you got to pay extra. You got to pay a premium for it. And he said something that I loved so much. He said, I take real pride in it. I take I'm a very good Uber driver. My car is always sparkling. I give really good service. And I have an incredible rating. And that, that wasn't the incredible, that wasn't the amazing thing. The amazing thing was that he said, and I have to do it this way. I have to. And I think what he meant was that if he didn't take pride in it, he would be framing that situation as a failure. Now, as I always say, you can't fail if you're making art. In order to make art, you've got to be calm. You can't have bills looming over you. So you've got to take care of the adult stuff. This is a great example of a seasoned artist. He's a veteran artist. He's got as much experience as I have. And, and with that, he has some wisdom. You know, experience and wisdom aren't interchangeable. We all, as you get older, you get more and more experience. It doesn't mean you're wise, though. It depends on how you metabolize experience. And I just thought this was such a great example of somebody that looked reality and adversity square in the eye and said, this is what I got to do to pay my bills. And it doesn't have, it doesn't take away anything from when I'm doing a play or when I'm working on a TV show. You don't have to get your money and your meaning in the same place. In fact, very few people do. But we focus on the 1%. And we hold them up, even though they're... I mean, even though they're emotional doorknobs that should know better Will Smith. And we hold them up. And when in reality we would never really want to trade places with them. We don't. You don't want a complete lack of objectivity in your life. You don't want a bunch of yes-men and women around you. You don't want to live in a fantasy world because you'll be hoisting yourself from your own petard. Now this all leads me to Phase 2 of the Bold Acting Studios. So I've got the Sunday night class going, the drop-in class. It's like Fight Club. You drop in, you pay me money. Uh, right now it's 20 bucks. It's going to go up soon because 20 bucks is outrageous. Such a good deal for these pearls of wisdom I'm dropping daily, weekly. Uh, and then I'm going to add on a uh, commercial class, How to Audition for Commercials, because that's what I've got the most experience in. I've done over 200 of them. I stopped counting like 10 years ago, and it was at 200. I don't say this to brag, okay? They're commercials. You're not allowed to put them on your resume. People don't want to see them. And yet a lot of them were really good, really amazing short films. Anyways, so I'm going to teach that. And then the next thing I'm looking out for is somebody to help help me with a personal finance class for actors. We're never taught how to live in the real world in school. Or at least that was my experience. My intel is old, although it's sort of uh, been um, informed by my children's experience. And they're still learning stuff that won't serve them, like French. I don't know why we have to learn French in Canada unless we're going to get a job in Ottawa, Or um, we want to impress people in a French restaurant. I can't think of another reason. Now, of course, you can always make the argument that it's good to learn another language. Absolutely. But if you're not going to use it, you're going to lose it. I remember stressing and spending so many hours working on French and math. Algebra took me two years to get through. Algebra 11. That was the math that I was supposed to do in grade 11. I was still doing it in grade 12. And I remember clearly when I handed back the textbook to Mr. Hall, he uh, wrote down my grade. It went from a 49% to a 50% because I returned the textbook and he could get rid of me. I mean, if that's that's the measurement of success, then why are we teaching it in the first place? So my kids are still learning stuff that I guess if you boiled it down to its to the lowest denominator uh, they're learning to learn unless it turns against them and you get so sick of school like I did that you never want to go back to it ever again but actors should be learning about acting and personal finance those are the two things you should have a good therapist you should have a good exercise uh, routine You should have friends. This goes for everybody. You should know personal finance so so you don't screw yourself. And you should take acting classes all the time for the rest of your life. Because that's what's going to make you better. Not going to university. I mean, I don't know about theater school. Is that good? I've never been to one. Do they teach personal finance there? Do they teach you? They teach you how to make art for sure. But do they teach preciousness? Is that an ivory tower? I mean, at least with the modularity and flexibility of just taking acting classes out there, that you're not stuck in one place for year and years and years. I don't know about that. You also, it's way cheaper to take um, ad hoc classes rather than subscribe to a one, two, or three-year program uh, where you have to go into debt just to... Get your skills to then go out and audition. A lot of schools also don't let you audition while you're in school. So you're losing real world experience. You got to go out there and shit the bed. There's no waiting around. There's no like, oh, you're not ready yet. Just go out there. You have to start actually doing the thing you love to do to learn how to do the thing. There's no waiting around. If we look at uh, Edgar Dale, the American, the late American educator's um, learning pyramid, are you familiar with this? Uh, you can find it online at uh, ResearchGate.net. We tend to remember ninety percent of what we both say and do by doing the real thing. So you will learn a shit ton if you actually make the thing. If you make the art. If you do it, if you don't outsource it, if you do it yourself, the same, You we will remember 90% of what we both say and do if we simulate the real experience because the brain can't tell the difference between actually doing it and simulating it. So that would be class. So this is what I, I purport. You either make this stuff or you go to class or you do both. You either make that digital series or put on that play or write that script, thereby retaining 90% of the things you say and do, or you simulate it by going to class where the infrastructure is put in place for you. You'll also look how many of these relate to performance. It's amazing how much um, Venn overlap there is. 90% of what we both say and do, we tend to remember by doing a dramatic presentation. Then it goes down to 70% if we're participating in a discussion or giving a talk. Then it goes down to 50% by uh, watching a movie, looking at an exhibit, watching a demonstration, or seeing it done on location. So even in class, when it's not your turn to act and you got to sit there and watch other people, you will be uh, retaining 50% of what we see and hear by just sitting there, by just auditing. And then it goes down to 30% uh, retention, looking at pictures, 20% uh, hearing words, and 10% for reading. You can't, and actually some books, depending on what they're like, I think I retain way less, like anything by Uval Harari, say the Sapiens guy. The most oft-cited book of this decade that no one finished. That's my guess. I think I got close, but man, I remember like one thing from that. Way too hard for me. So what I'm trying to tell you is, and I'm an avid reader, you can't learn to act from a book. You gotta go and do it. Either in class or do it for real. But you can't wait around. There's plenty of naysayers in your brain and out there that are gonna tell you you're half baked. No, you're not ready. You're not ready to leave. You gotta leave the nest. You gotta leave the nest in order to fly, little bird. And the only way you learn how to fly is by jumping into the great unknown and flapping your wings. Wow, that was a lot. Okay, let's do uh the Q&A. Uh hey Jason, uh, Timothy uh Ferris in the 3-hour work week uh proposes that we have to be ultimately productive in uh in the mornings having our morning routines and writing scripts and in at night writing our memoirs. Uh we have to be meditating, we have to be working on uh being in in uh uh, in a constant state of constant state of meditation, hey can we just relax and be creative and find our way without all of that busyness? Thanks yes, mystery caller, yes, yes, we can, and we should. The productivity bros would have us believe that we've always got to be hustling, but what if we don't have anything to hustle yet? I think we should just work at the thing that um, speaks to us and spend the rest of our lives getting really good at it. As far as the day-to-day, Tim Ferriss has done us a disservice. He fetishized, almost single-handedly, entrepreneurialism to such an extent that a lot of people started businesses and they shouldn't have. Also, the cult of optimization, I think, has run its course, has it not? I don't know. I think it was exciting to my uh, friend group uh, a few years ago. I'm glad we've moved past it. You don't have to optimize everything. Some things you can't. You know, sometimes life is just going to grind you down and you can't optimize your way out of it. Also, one needs, especially if one is an artist or creative in any way, one needs time to daydream. One needs time to just lie around. In order for that to happen, you can't be doing your day job and running your startup at the same time. Let me speak to the performers alone. Let me just make um, a differentiation between entrepreneurialism and freelancing. An entrepreneur starts a business either bootstrapping or with capital. A freelancer works contract to contract. We're all employees in some way. We're all going to end up working for somebody, whether it's our clientele or an employer, at one point or another. The idea is not optimization. The idea is finding something that you really like working hard at and then saving money And then getting that money to work for you. Because eventually, you're not going to have the energy levels you do in your 20s and 30s. Eventually, the industry you're in is going to retire you. Now, whether or not they alert you to this, it it depends on which business you're in. But we all get old and we all lose our faculties. That's when you need that nest egg. Anyways, getting back to the uh, phone call. Uh, thank you. That's a really good question, and you touched on meditation a couple times. I'm not a meditator. I, I tried. I tried for years. I did that Headspace app for ages, and then I got really good at meditating, um, just just on my own. And I didn't need the phone yet again. And that was even better. But I have to tell you that I don't. I don't do it. I'm not into it, and I don't care. I exercise for an hour a day, and I go for a walk. But sitting there, I don't know. I just got I just got too many ideas right now. Maybe I'll come back to meditation. And also, I'm allergic to the thing that everybody else is doing. You know, now that we all have to meditate it does turn into one more item on your to-do list. And if you don't do it, then you have another opportunity to feel bad for yourself, another opportunity to trash talk yourself, and another opportunity to try and keep up with the Joneses. If you and your friend group, if 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 they're all meditating but you're not, then there's another reason to beat yourself up. If you're not into meditating, it's gonna be okay. You can get there someday. Hi, Jason. Uh, first time, long time. Uh, love what you're doing with the show. Uh, question: uh, Method acting. What do you what do you feel about method acting? You know, it, it came to the fore recently with Succession and the Jeremy Strong versus Brian Cox scenario and. Harkens back to, like, Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier on Marathon Man. Where do you stand on method acting and and when it can go too far? Uh, Keep up the good work. Love your stuff. That was from Mitch in Toronto. Thanks, Mitch. Method acting is um, one method. There are plenty of methods out there. Try them all and figure out which one works for you. I think a lot of it comes down to uh, busy work. I'm more of a Brian Coxian kind of fella. Uh, You know what? It becomes quickly, it becomes a metaphor about being Canadian. Here, the way I was taught was we take a bit of the American and we take a bit of the British. The British working from the outside in and the American from the inside out. Whatever gets you out of your head and into the moment. Method, to me sometimes seems a little precious. But you can't argue with the results when you're talking about Jeremy Strong on Succession and whatever else he does. I just find hearing about the process annoying, and I think that's why there's a lot of actors out there who don't talk about it. The Method is also, a mm, 100 years old? I mean, when was Stanislavski around? And then when did it come to America? In the, um, in the 30s? 40s? I don't know. And I'm not going to do any research. But anytime something's 100 years old, it's ready for disruption. Also, don't choose ideology over um, exploration. Anytime you adhere to one thing and one thing only, it becomes a cult. It's dogma. Be wary of dogma. If someone says to you, this is the way it's done, then that's a huge red flag. No, that's a green flag for you to go forward and find something else. We stick to that which we know out of fear. Fear is no place to start taking uh, risks from. Fear is a place where we'll always choose the safest route. The Marathon Man story where Laurence Olivier told Dustin Hoffman, who had been up for three days without sleeping and, you know, really getting into the role. and What was he? Was he hanging himself from a closet, too, because he was so short? I can't remember. Laurence Olivier said, why don't you try acting? Which is, it's a clever line. From an old person, an old curmudgeonly person, to a younger person trying something new. If you look back at Laurence Olivier's performances now, they do not age well. Dustin Hoffman, however, does. You can't argue with the results. If the results are good, like Dustin Hoffman's or Robert De Niro's or Jeremy Strong's, then the process is working, but it's not the only one. Thanks, Mitch. Hey, Jason. This is Warren, a uh, big fan of the show. Um, I just had a question about uh, my kid who wants to be an actor and um, I have uh, some uh, concerns about this and uh, just wondering uh, if I should be worried and uh, what you have to say about that. I get this question a lot. Thanks Warren, by the way. Thank you Warren for the uh, question. I get this question a lot. It's a really good question. The amount The chances of your kid getting into trouble are infinitesimal because it's not the church or the military. And it's really rare when anybody makes it. You know, child actors rarely ever transition to adult actors. They get out of it. They grow up. They're no longer cute. This is a good thing. Move on. Try something else. Childhood... to. This is what I think. And this is why my kids were, were, were uh, exposed to showbiz and auditioning early on. One decided it wasn't for him. One still does it. He still likes it. He hasn't booked anything. But when kids get to do something uh, that they're excited about, whether they keep doing it or not, they get to try out things. And they're also practicing the thing of like, I want something and that now I'm going to go and try it and see if it works. So it's not a big deal. It's not like, I want something, I'm going to try it. I failed. I'm never going to try anything again. It gives them license to keep trying things. And as I always say, it's all about trying. You try, 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 and then you die. So if kids are natural performers, which I think we all have it in us to some extent, I would say give it a shot uh, because um, it's really fun. It's also really boring. It's also really hard. You'll learn a lot. You'll learn about responsibilities. You'll learn about being on time. You'll learn about taking direction. You'll learn about getting paid, about paying taxes. You'll learn about... Um, what the value of money, because you see how much money you make an hour. Also, there are very few opportunities in this country, in this, the Western world, for kids to earn money, and uh, acting or even background performance um, is one of the few ways where kids can make really good money. And then, of course, you stick that in a trust, and the RESPs are that much farther along. If they don't book any jobs, that's also good because they'll move on to something else. But at least you're teaching autonomy and independence. Um, Warren, be prepared, though. You're going to have to go with your kid. You're going to have to self-tape them. You're going to have to tape them at home, tape their auditions. You're going to have to edit their auditions. You're going to have to pay money for uh, online profiles on, like, casting workbook and all this other bullshit Uh, The agent shouldn't charge you any money. Um, Sometimes background performer agencies do, I think. Uh, So it's a whole thing. Um, If you get a a callback for an audition for a gig, then you're going to have to drive the kid to the... To the casting studio. You're going to have to wait around there. You're going to have to sign them in. You're going to have to weather other stage moms and dads who can be uh, some of the more challenging varieties of humans on earth. There's a lot to it, but if your kid wants to do it and you're into it, I say go for it because the upside is really big. You can learn a lot, you can have a lot of fun, and you can make money. And their experiences there uh, that will um, really serve them well in the future. Thanks for that question. And now it's time for the Bold Acting Newsletter, issue number 10 for June 11th, 2023. Keep your eyes peeled, but not too much. A Friday night sleepover. After chicken fingers and waffles, we walked off the meal. Normally, we head down to Dinosaur Park, but this time we went to High Park and stopped off at the castle, a large climbing structure in the middle of the woods. Along the way, I saw the good-looking couple with the electric Porsche walking their two dogs. She recently got her lips done. I saw the old Fokies singing songs on their porch. I think they must live out there. They're always on that porch. I saw the trans woman that lives in the Tesla house sitting with the black guy with the dog that does the nice garden. My group of four kids chatted endlessly about the new schools they'd be going to in the fall and video games and other matters beyond my understanding. Still no girl talk or boy talk. I don't know why it's so important to me. Selena the Binner was walking along with her telltale IKEA bag and pigtails, Once I offered him cookies, and I said, Hey, man, I just baked some cookies, and he said, It's ma'am. My name's Selena. Oh, okay. Hence the makeup. All this on a seven-minute night walk to the park. How lucky I am to have all this variety. And all I had to do was leave my house. I fall in love with Toronto for the thousandth time. We enter the park, and under the covered picnic area, revelers drink and eat and play music. Off to the side, a group throws bocce balls. I assume the authorities will be along any minute to stop the fun, but maybe that's more Vancouver behavior. I'm reading A Fortunate Man by John Berger as the kids disappear into the castle. The book is about a country doctor in North England in the 1960s. I found it in a little library up the street. I sit there in the same spot I've sat for a decade, benches in the middle of the climbing structure. They don't afford sightlines to your progeny's progress. Maybe that's the point. Maybe it's time for independent play. It's just that one time when a woman tried to make off with a child that wasn't hers that sticks in everyone's craw. In A Fortunate Man... Berger talks about a couple of pensioners that live in the forest behind a small town in northern England. A long time before, the wife had worked as a maid in the big house of a nearby village. The husband worked on the railroad. He came to the doctor and said that his wife was bleeding from down there. The doctor talked to her a little and then asked her to undress so that he could examine her. He went into the kitchen until she was ready. "'At this age, if the wife were to enter into the hospital, "'it was probable that she wouldn't come out again "'unless she was in a casket. "'When the doctor returned to where the wife was, "'she had rolled her stockings down and pulled her dress up. "'She was a he. "'The bleeding was the result of a severe case of piles. "'A reveler approaches from behind the bench I sit on. "'Have I seen an errant red bocce ball?' I have not, but I'll keep my eyes peeled. There is a man in a Habs jersey, Habs cap, with sunglasses perched facing the back of his head. His wife is generously proportioned towards the anterior, like a Moomins come to life. Both follow their bespectacled child around a turret. The man is shy in spite of his bold wardrobe choices. The woman leaned up against a wooden fence and released one of those two-stage reports from her lower GI tract that explode and then trail. An exclamation followed by an anticlimactic fizzle. Like so much in life. There is that punctum of hope. Something's gonna happen, and then nothing really. Oh well, maybe next time. The fortunate man races through the Cumbrian countryside to attend to a woodsman trapped under a tree. He honks the horn of his Land Rover the entire time to signal to the man that help is on the way. When he gets there, he injects him with morphine, and the man finally stops screaming. The four sweaty kids require ice cream. We head off to Ed's on the main drag. As we leave the park, I see a red bocce ball off in the shadows. I roll it towards the players. The ball approaches to great acclaim. A reunion. The air is room temperature, even though we're outside. This is my favorite kind of weather. The streets are filled with people. It's just too nice to go to bed. The lineup is long at Ed's. In front of us is a Tilly-adorned pair of silverbacks, zipper pants and all. On top of the ice cream case are your choice of cones. Kitty. Sugar and waffle. Someone put a pine cone on display as a very flimsy joke. And the silverbacks, of course, took the bait. I'll have one scoop of pralines and cream in a pine cone, said the husband. The wife gave him a supportive laugh. Ah, love. The employee looked at him as though she's just been told she's missed the train, but there'd be another one along in about an hour and a half an exclamation followed by an anticlimactic fizzle. How many people ask for the pine cone, the husband says in an effort to save face. Too many, was the answer from the employee. I hang happiness upon elements beyond my control. Up until that moment, the night had been perfect. But with high ideals comes expectation, that things won't get worse. But of course they do. They will. Two mango gelati and a cookies and cream later. The fourth abstains because he is deathly allergic to peanuts. At home, the kids put themselves to bed. It's so easy now. My dessert is two magnesium pills and a podcast called The Martin Chronicles, which is Amos's oeuvre discussed by book nerds. Pretty good. That night, I dream of a dear friend having an affair with Chad Kruger of Nickelback. Even my dreams aspire to be interesting, but then casting goes and hires Chad. Yet another fizzle. Life is filled with tiny joys, victories big and small, and an unrelenting cavalcade of the meh. I decide to reconfigure the microscope to reveal only the highlights. The lows need no further examination. They'll come unabated, I close my eyes and think of England. Thanks for listening to the Bold Acting Podcast. You can find out more about my classes at boldacting.com. If you're in the Toronto area, check out my Sunday school. It's uh, every Sunday, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m., and it's only 20 bucks. as of June 2023. Price is subject to change. This deal won't last forever. Would love for you to rate and review this podcast if you like it. Thank you so much. If you don't like it, just keep it to yourself. Nobody likes a whiner, and uh, please talk me up at your next book club or your next podcast club. Do people have podcast clubs? They should. You can also sign up for my newsletter. It's a free weekly 5-10 to minute read. You can find that at boldacting.substack.com. That's boldacting.substack.com. And just sign up with your email address. And I'll see you every Sunday.